Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, would you turn to Genesis 25? Genesis 25. Today is a bittersweet day for me and Jenny, as it's our last Sunday here at Three Rivers. Uh, but you have been so gracious to us, and our hearts are full. And uh, we appreciate your prayers and your support as we move on to where God has us next. Uh, we're all on mission. Some of us leave, some of us stay, but we all have work to do. And so please continue to pray for us. Uh, and so I thought, what better way to go out <clears throat> on your last Sunday than to preach a funeral? And that's what I'm going to do in Genesis chapter 25. Uh, I'm going to preach this morning on the funeral of Father Abraham. The funeral of Father Abraham. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, uh, I thank you for this church. Thank you for the friends uh, and truly the family we have here at Three Rivers and the blessing they have been to, to me and to my family. Father, we, we've come to worship today. We've come to sing and we've come to hear your word. So, Father, help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to preach faithfully the text. And I pray that from the text you would speak to us, encourage us, and challenge us as we head into the new year. Uh, Father, we want to live for your glory, so help us now to hear your word and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to celebrate and remember the life of our dear brother, Abraham. Today is not to be a day of mourning, but of rejoicing and celebration for the life of our faithful friend and brother. And for so many of us, in fact, for all of us, Abraham was more than our brother. In fact, in a profound sense, Abraham is really and truly our father. He is the physical father of the nation of Israel from whom the Messiah would come. And he is the spiritual father of all of us who believe in the gospel, who believe God and who have the same faith of Abraham. In fact, God's promises to this man were centered on his fatherhood. As we've studied the book of Genesis, we've learned from Abraham's life. God made promises that centered around Abraham being a father. He told him, I will make you a great nation, Abraham. Eliezer of Damascus will not be your heir. For your very own son shall be your heir. Look toward heaven and number the stars, Abraham, if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be. And so God's promises to Abraham were stamped right onto his birth certificate when the Lord changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Abraham was literally to be a father of many nations. And so that's where our story begins. It's really where Abraham's story ends in Genesis 25 verses 1 to 4. I want you to see God's faithfulness to Abraham to fulfill his promise to make him a father of many nations. Genesis 25 verse 1 says, Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letushim, and Leumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephah, Hanak, Abida, and Eldaah. All these were the children of Keturah. 
We see God's faithfulness in giving Abraham many sons. This is why we sing, Father Abraham had many sons, and it wasn't just Isaac and Ishmael. That's why it's no coincidence here that immediately before and after Abraham's death, we are given genealogies of his many sons. It's to show God's faithfulness. Abraham already had two sons, we know, Isaac and Ishmael. But after Sarah died, Abraham took another wife named Keturah. And she bore six more sons to Abraham. And those sons had sons. And not only that, at the end of Abraham's life, we're told that Ishmael had 12 sons who would become 12 princes of their tribes who would be scattered throughout the Middle East and all of Arabia. And as you look at the Middle East and you see the millions of people who live there, you see that God has been faithful to his promise. He had given Father Abraham many sons. God had been faithful to his word. And this was the theme of Abraham's life from beginning to end. God made incredible promises and Abraham believed God at his word. Although, y'all know, he would struggle like the rest of us to Believe, Abraham's faith was not a rock-solid faith. It was an imperfect faith which trusted in a rock-solid God. And I think that's what we have to be reminded of in Abraham's story. Because Abraham's story is my story. And it's your story. Now you may think today that Abraham's death occurred today. But I believe Abraham died a long time ago. He died the day that God called him to leave his homeland and his family. To leave Ur. To follow the Lord to a new land. He died that day. Died to himself. Died to his desires. And God's calling you to die too. Die to yourself. Die to your old ways. Die to your past life so that you may truly live. Have you died? Have you died today that you may truly live? Whoever seeks to gain his life will lose it. And whoever seeks to lose his life for the sake of Christ will find it. Every step of the way, God has been faithful to Abraham. And I'm here to tell you, he'll be faithful to you too. He was faithful when Abraham believed his promises. And God was faithful when Abraham lied about his wife to Pharaoh. God was faithful when Melchizedek blessed him. And he was faithful when he took Hagar to get a son outside of God's plan. God was faithful all the time. God was faithful when he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And God was faithful when he rescued Lot from Sodom. And God was faithful when Abraham lied to Abimelech. Again, about his wife. God was faithful when he finally gave him his promised son Isaac. And God was faithful when he told him to sacrifice him on top of Mount Moriah. God was faithful after Sarah died and he was faithful to find Isaac a wife in Rebekah. Now, of course, Abraham stumbled in his faith, but the Lord never falters. And if Abraham were alive today, he would stand up here and he would tell you, you can trust the Lord. When we are faithless, he is faithful. God was faithful to Abraham. But there's another thing we need to see in this man's life. Not only that God was faithful to Abraham, but Abraham was faithful as well. Abraham had faith to protect the covenant that God had made. Look at verse 5 and 6. And we see Abraham's faith. 
Verse 5 says, Abraham gave all he had to who? Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Yes, God was faithful to Abraham, but we also see that Abraham was faithful to God. Abraham had always sought to honor the Lord, despite his many failures along the way. But he did a couple of things, two things at the end of his life to show his faithfulness to God and his faithfulness to the covenant. The first thing that he did is in verse five. He gave all of his possessions to his son, Isaac. Abraham made sure that the blessing as God had planned it would pass to Isaac, the child of of promise. Abraham knew that he would not live forever. So what he did, he worked to ensure that what God had begun in him would continue on in his children. Now that's a profound truth for us. For those of us who are parents, for those who are still living today, we must be careful that we do not personalize our faith so much that we ignore the next generation. Instead of it just being my relationship with God and my personal faith, we need to think about our faith being a corporate faith that affects other people, especially those who follow after us. And so you as believers, we should all do everything in our power to ensure that God's blessings are passed on to the next generation. The blessings of the knowledge of Christ, the blessings of knowing God, the blessings of believing the gospel. Now, that may be through your children. It may be through some other means. But no matter where you are in life, God intends for you to pass the faith along to those who follow after you. There are those of you in this church who have done it well. You've done it in my own life and the way you've mentored me and invested in my life. The parents, take your role seriously. Don't rob your children of being formed by worshiping within the church and the corporate worship service. Mitch, I was grieved this week reading Twitter of how many churches cancel today. Just to take a break. Worship at home with your families. We've made worship something that's personal instead of it being the corporate gathering of the believers. Parents, did you know this? That if you have a six-year-old... And if they sit in worship with you, with you until the day they turn 18 years old, they will only sit in 624 worship services from the time they're 6 to they're 18. And that assumes you don't skip any. We only have a limited time to invest in our children. So we need to be intentional in making disciples. Listen, the mission statement of Three Rivers Church is not some cute, catchy marketing phrase. It is the plan by which God intends to bring the blessing of Abraham to the nations. To make disciples for the glory of God by being and producing radical followers of Jesus. That's why we exist. It's not just some catchy phrase. That is God's plan. And that's what Abraham did with Isaac. He gave everything that he had to Isaac to make sure the blessing passed on to him. There's a second thing Abraham did to be faithful to the covenant. While he was still living, he gave gifts to his other sons, whom he loved. But he sent them away, far away to the east, out of the land of Canaan. Now, while that may seem cruel to us and unthinkable to send some of our children to a faraway country, although I have thought about it at times, especially in the middle of the night, It was absolutely necessary 
to establish Isaac as the true heir. Abraham did not want anything to threaten the promises and threaten what had been given to Isaac. Abraham loved all of his sons, but the sons of his concubine Keturah could not be allowed to pose a threat to the heir of promise. Abraham was protecting Isaac while declaring unwavering loyalty to the covenant. God, you have said that Isaac is the child of promise and he will be in this land. So I'm going to remove every obstacle possible to keep that from happening. Now, you may be wondering. Like I was. Whatever happened to these guys? Surely Abraham had to have been concerned about the spiritual destiny of these other sons. I mean, we know Isaac was a believer. Isaac lived by faith. But what about all those other kids he just sends off into the east to fend for themselves? Did they ever believe with the same faith of Abraham? Was there any spiritual hope for them? I believe the answer is yes. Because remember, God had promised Abraham that he would bless the nations through him. Through Abraham's seed, through Abraham's descendant. And that includes even other nations that came from Abraham. There's this great quote I came across from an Old Testament commentator, Derek Kidner. He said, in God's plan, these sons were sent away that there might be a true home in the end to return to. Isaiah would prophesy about these sons in Isaiah chapter 60. The offspring of those six sons of Keturah would come back. Their descendants would come and believe, like all nations would come back to believe in Christ. And those sons can come to God the same way that you and I come today, by faith. The faith that Abraham had to trust God was faithful to Abraham. And Abraham was faithful. Although flawed, he was faithful to God. There's a third thing I want you to see about this man today as we look at his life. And that is that Abraham had a full life. Let's look at Abraham's full life in verse 7 and 8. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. First thing I want you to see is that Abraham lived a long time. Abraham lived many years, 175. Here's the point I want, you, I want us to make. Although Abraham lived a long time, no Christian is guaranteed a long life. So we should seek to make the most of the time we have. It's hard for some of us, I mean, can you imagine, let me just take a time out here and think about what it would be like for you to live 175 years. Let me put that in perspective. That means that you're sitting here today in church and you were born 17 years before the Civil War started. Y'all, that's old, right? I mean, that that's a lot of life experience too, right? I mean, you've seen everything at that point. That's a long time to walk with God. It's a long time to, to stumble. It's a long time to walk with the Lord. But I think what we need to be reminded of is that although many Christians do live for a long time, not one of us is guaranteed tomorrow. 
which is appropriate for us to think about as we end the year. And you may be making resolutions for 2019 and you're not guaranteed to make it through tomorrow. And as millions of people make New Year's resolutions, it would do us well to remember none of you are guaranteed to live past New Year's Day. And so let this be a sobering thought as you prepare for this new year that many, many of the great Christians throughout history lived very short lives on the earth. Let me just give you a few of those. One of those I learned about in seminary is a girl named Perpetua. Perpetua, I don't want to have time to tell her whole life story, but she was a, a noble woman. She was wealthy. She lived in a place called Carthage, the second century. And the emperor Severus wanted to stop the spread of the new faith. And so he had some Christians arrested. Perpetua was preparing for baptism. She was arrested and imprisoned. And her non-Christian father came to her in prison and asked her to renounce her faith so that she could go free. Perpetua said this, Father, do you see that vase over there? Can it be called anything other than what it is? The father said, no. Perpetua said, well, neither can I be called anything other than what I am, a Christian. Even though she was still breastfeeding her child, she refused to recant. And so Perpetua and her friends were condemned to die in the arena. And this is what one witness of that day said. This is written in church history. It says they, Perpetua and her friends, were dressed in belted tunics. When they entered the stadium, wild beasts and gladiators roamed the floor. And in the stands, crowds roared to see blood. They didn't have to wait long. Immediately, a wild heifer charged the group. Perpetua was tossed into the air and onto her back. She sat up, adjusted her ripped tunic, and walked over to help her friend Felicitas. Then a leopard was let loose. And it wasn't long before the tunics of the Christians were stained with blood. This was far too deliberate for the impatient Roman crowd. Which began calling for death for the Christians. And so Perpetua, Felicitas and her friends were lined up. And one by one were slain by the sword. Perpetua was 22 years old. She's not the only one. There are many others in history. One, if you've, if you've read church history, David Brainerd, who was the son, uh, son-in-law of Jonathan Edwards, great pastor and theologian, was a, is a missionary to the American Indians. And it was his journal that was so impactful on Jonathan Edwards' life that he had it printed. And it's available even today. And it inspires missionaries around the world. David Brainerd died at the age of 29. Robert Murray McShane, minister from Scotland, great man of prayer, wrote books on prayer that people still read today, died at the age of 29. Oswald Chambers, if you've read My Utmost for His Highest, the devotional, he was a chaplain to the military, and died in Africa at the age of 43 while serving. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian and pastor, arrested, came to America, but chose to go back to be with his people, helped in the plot to try to assassinate Hitler He was hanged by the Germans in 1945 at the age of 39. Eric Little, the great Olympian, went also to serve as a missionary, died at the age of 43. Jim Elliott and his four friends, including Nathan Saint, went to Peru and was stabbed to death by the natives, died at the age of 29. And Keith Green, one a little more relevant, 
died at the age of 28, songwriter and evangelist in a plane crash. Let that weigh on you for just a minute that all of them were faithful. That's why I love what John Piper said. Let us plan so as to live well for a long time and live so as to die well at any moment. Abraham lived a long time, but there's a second thing I want you to see is that Abraham died and death comes to all men. He died. Look at verse 8. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. He breathed his last and died. I think we should be reminded here that life is limited. And as we get to the end of another year, we're grateful that God has given us another year of life. But we need to be reminded that each of us has been given a span of life. All our days are numbered. None of us die too soon. Whether we die at nine months Or 90 years. This is what the psalmist taught consistently. Psalm 139 verse 16. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me. When as yet there were none of them. What's the practical application for us as we think about life? I know it's morbid and we don't like to think about our mortality. But a funeral service is a great time to think about your own life. And what you're doing with your life. It is meant to give you wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 39, verse 4. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. I joined this church six years ago and here we are, moving on. I felt like I just got here and now moving on. And you I know if we looked at all of our lives, we were, we're here and now we're moving on. And now things just move quickly and our children grow up. Well, I remember when your, some of your children were born. I remember when they weren't born. And now they're here and they're talking to me, right? It's weird. And it just was a reminder that my own life is fleeting. It's passing by so quickly. Yesterday I was 18. Today I'm 34. Tomorrow I'll be 60. It's that fast. And let me just translate what the psalmist is saying here into a prayer, especially for you who are young. When he says, Lord, let me number my days, let me know the end of my days, let me know how fleeting I am. Let me translate that into a prayer for you. God, help me understand while I'm still young that my life is a gift. It will not last forever. So keep me from wasting my life, from chasing vain things that don't matter. But Lord, instead, help me to focus my energy for your kingdom and for your name so that I can bear eternal fruit for your glory with the years that I still have left. That's what it means to know the end of your days. And if you do that, you live with that intentionality and purpose, you'll do what Abraham did. The third thing I want to point out here is that Abraham lived a full life. Don't confuse that with living a long life. He lived a full life. Verse 8, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. That phrase of years, not in the text, it's added there. It just says he died full. That word full means to be satisfied. But let's not be mistaken. I want you all to hear this. 
Abraham's satisfaction did not come from living 175 years. His satisfaction came from living a century by faith. It doesn't matter how long you live if you waste the life that you've been given. Just because you live a long time doesn't mean that you will live a meaningful life. Many in our culture today are trying to find a way to preserve or prolong their life without giving any thought of how they can live well in the life they've been given. How can they live the life they have to the full? Jesus said that he came to give life and to give it more abundantly. And we among all people on this planet should be the people that live the most full life. And I want to encourage some of you. Some of you may be discouraged this morning as you look back at the wasted years that you wasted not following the Lord. You wasted it running from God, ignoring your calling. Well, let me just give you a word. Jesus never promised to add years to your life, but he will add life to your years. He can do more in the second half of your life than you can do in a hundred lifetimes on your own. Just look at this man laying here before you today, Abraham. Lived 175 years and God did not call him out of his old life until he was 75. And he ended up living a hundred more years. There's still time for you. If you got a pulse today, there's time for you to redeem the time that you have. To make the most of your life. Live for the glory of Christ. God has brought you through another year. Don't waste it. Start serving Him now. Seek your joy in Jesus and He will satisfy you. And your life will be full. I'm almost done. Last thing I want to mention here. Abraham, or God was faithful to Abraham. Abraham was faithful to God. Abraham lived a full life. But Abraham's life ended with a future hope of the resurrection. There's future hope. Look at verse 9. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, east of Mamre. The field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac his son. And Isaac settled at Be'er Lahai Roy. So as we come to the end of this obituary. I've got one final eulogy to make for our good friend Abraham. Abraham's the true father of our faith, and we have learned so much from, from his life. If you read the New Testament, there are so many lessons to learn. I'll just give you a, a few of them quickly. Romans chapter 4, central on the life of Abraham, teaches us that like Abraham, we are saved by faith alone and not because of our works. David was saved by faith alone. The Gentiles will be saved by faith alone. And you and I are saved by faith alone, just as Abraham was. James chapter 2 teaches us, though, that that faith alone will never be alone because faith expresses itself 
always with good works. Just like Abraham proved his faith when he offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice on top of Mount Moriah. So those two truths are taught from Abraham's life. You're saved by faith alone, but that faith alone will always be accompanied by good works. There's a third lesson from the New Testament in Galatians 3, which Emmett touched on a little bit today. That the ultimate offspring of Abraham is Christ. And if we are saved by faith in Christ, then you and I are the true spiritual descendants of Abraham. This is why we sing, Father Abraham had many sons, and I am one of them. I am one of them because my faith is not in Abraham, but in Christ, who is the descendant of Abraham, the Messiah. And Hebrews 11 shows us what a faithful life looks like as we look back at the life of Abraham. Through Abraham's faith, we see in Hebrews 11, his obedience, his journey, his struggles, his hope, his confidence, his longing for another city, and his sacrifice. And nothing demonstrates uh, the Abraham's faith more than his burial in the cave of Machpelah that he had bought from the Hittites. Isaac and Ishmael would bury him in the cave that he had purchased earlier for the burial of his wife, Sarah. Get this, right in the middle of the promised land, which he never owned and never possessed in his lifetime. But he believed one day it would belong to his offspring. So he bought that cave from the Hittites by faith that this will one day be our cave on our land because God is faithful to his word. Verse 11 says, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. We see a repetition here of the life of Abraham. Just as Abraham's life began with a blessing, now his son takes on that blessing. The God of Abraham was to be the God of Isaac as well. Abraham is gone. But the plan of God will continue through Isaac. And this is a good reminder for all of us, especially pastors, men, elders, those of you in leadership. No leader is indispensable because Abraham died. But God's program continues. What that means for us is that God's servants must do all they can to ensure that God's plan of blessing continues from generation to generation without interruption. Oh, for those of you in ministry, those of you serving, those of you leading, those of you teaching, don't miss this, that when Abraham died and the blessing went to Isaac, it was a clean passing of the baton. Nothing got dropped here. And it will not be dropped in this church. There are faithful people here teaching, continue to teach, preach the Bible, teach the word, teach, teach, teach. Make disciples and let the baton be passed on to the next generation. Because here's what happens to Isaac. There's this great little line here at the end. God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Be'er Lahai Roy. What is this? What is this place? You may remember this place. This is the same place that when Sarah sent Hagar away and Hagar was dismayed, She was weeping by a well and God met her there and she named the place Be'er Lahai Roi, which means the well of the living one who sees me. Isaac 
goes back to this place where God had met Hagar and delivered her. Isaac had come here to meditate when he waited for Rebecca. If you go back to the last chapter, where is he waiting? Where is he praying? Where is he meditating? Saying, God, please help Abraham's servant. Please send me a wife so that the promise can continue. Where was he waiting? He was waiting at Be'er Lahai Roi. And he looks over the horizon and here comes Rebecca, his wife. And God was Faithful. And so later on in Genesis, Isaac is going to later pray here for his barren wife, Rebecca, that she would have children at Be'er Lahai Roi, at the place where the living one sees me. And God answers that prayer and gives him not one son, but two sons, Jacob and Esau. Isaac moved and lived in a place where prayer was effective, where God could be found and God blessed him. And this is the one whom Abraham trusted in death. It's the one that Isaac trusted in his life. It is the living one. He is the living one who sees. The living one who delivers. He is the living one. He is the God of the living, even though they may die. And so we end this little eulogy with the epitaph on Abraham's tombstone from verse 9. Where it says that Abraham was gathered to his people. At the end of verse 8. Abraham was gathered to his people. Notice that it does not say he was gathered to his tomb. It doesn't say he was gathered to Sarah's bones. He was gathered to his people. He was gathered to the living fellowship of the redeemed. He was gathered to his People, He was gathered to those who, though they may have died, yet they are still alive because they trusted in the living one. And so I would tell you today, the man lying here before you today is more alive today than he has ever been. This is not just a funeral service. It is a worship service. That Abraham's hope rested in the future promise of God. That out of his family would come a rescuer. A redeemer. One who would reverse the curse of sin. And conquer death. And bring blessings to every single nation. But it would not be Abraham. For he died. And then Isaac died and it wouldn't be Jacob for he died and his bones were carried back and buried in that same cave next to the rotting corpse of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and it wouldn't be Judah or Joseph or any of Jacob's 12 sons this rescuer would not come from Egypt. It would not be Moses. And it would not be Joshua. For even after they left Egypt and came back to the promised land, they died. It would not be any of the judges. It would not be Jephthah or Gideon or Barak or Samson or anyone else in those days when the judges ruled. For they all died. It would not be King David or his son Solomon or any of the kings of Israel for all of those kings lived and died. It would not be Isaiah. It would not be Jeremiah or Daniel or any of the prophets. Though they longed to see that day, they all died. But after thousands of years and much waiting, there finally arose a stump from Jesse's line. A righteous branch from the kingly line of David. The true seed of Abraham was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And invaded this world 2,000 years ago in the incarnation to establish his kingdom. 
Matthew introduces him this way. This is the book of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the one who told the Pharisees, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. It was he who told the Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. He was a descendant of Abraham, yet he eternally pre-existed Abraham. And he came to fulfill the promise through his perfect life, his excruciating death, and in his glorious resurrection. He would say to the Pharisees, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he shall die, yet he shall live. And this great patriarch lying before us, Father Abraham, has been gathered to his people until the last day when the dust shall live again. At the sound of the last trumpet, when all the buried dead, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, every cemetery will come undone. All your friends and family and lost ones, my baby who's in heaven today, will come alive. Every one of them that is long gone, we will meet again when the trumpet of God will sound and the dead in Christ. Christ will rise and we who are alive will meet the Lord in the air. This is the message for the new year. This is the message that needs to be preached at Three Rivers. This is the message that's going to be preached in my ministry. This is the message that leads us to risking our lives in death-defying missions for the sake of Christ's glory. This is the message that makes Restoration Rome worth it. This is the message that will save your lost neighbor. This is the message that makes your life worth living. It's the message worth preaching to the world. It's the message that leads to singing with joy. Jesus lives. Jesus reigns. All glory be to Christ. Let all the children of Abraham say amen. Let's sing together. Let's pray. Father, oh, I'm full today. I could keep preaching and I'm leaving, but we got to go. Father, it's time to sing. Lord, we love you. Oh, Father, thank you so much for the gospel. And thank you for a church that preaches the gospel. Thank you for this this year you've given us. And the promise of future resurrection. That this life is worth the living just because he lives. Father, let us live with purpose and intentionality and not waste our lives. Father, I pray blessings on Three Rivers Church. I pray your blessings on the elders as they lead this church. I pray for ministry leaders and volunteers, for those who are working. Father, would you bless them? Would you make them fruitful? Father, would you raise up people to go to all nations out of this church? Continue to make this church fruitful for your kingdom's sake. Father, today we are your children. We are the true sons of Abraham because our faith is in your only son, Christ. We trust in him. We worship him. Father, help us now as we end this year to worship you with gladness and joy for all the good things you've given us. We say and sing together this morning, all glory be to Christ.